All right, let's uh, welcome our Pet Chat team who are here to answer your questions. Cheryl Shaw, as always, uh, welcome to you. Hello, Mark. It's nice to be here. All right. And uh, Dr. David Tabbert, who we haven't seen for a while. Maybe you've been a nice little uh, junket up north, haven't you? Oh, Mark, I'm always working. I don't. Where, I, where do you get these ideas that I'm on a junket? Well, from you, you said that you were, you'd gone to a gin distillery, you'd gone and bought, bought a packet of Tim Tams. and Purely educational. All right. Uh, as always, it's Cheryl Shaw Brooch Watch today. So that's a lily uh, by my recollection. It is, Mark. And why are we talking about lilies today? Well, we've got Easter coming up and lily is the symbol for Easter and I thought we'd talk about toxicity with cats and I've, lilies. Right, I would have gone uh, toxicity and chocolate, but never mind. Oh, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> to that. We're going to put him to work straight away. G'day, Peter at Pelican. Uh, there's a bit of canine arthritis happening at your place. What's going on, Peter? Um, I've got a nine-year-old Kelpie. Um, I walk him almost every morning how he runs. Yep. And every afternoon I throw the ball for him and he goes for a swim as well. Um, I noticed um, of an early evening he's, um, he's very stiff and uh, limping and things like that till he goes to bed. Okay. Uh, I got told um, green lip muscle powder would be an advantage. Well, I think it's an advantage for humans. I'm not too sure about canines. Yeah, good question and something we've often talk about on the show over the years. So um, have you been to the vet with your dog about this problem? Uh, yes, uh, probably two years ago, and he, I think he got a noodle, and they said um, perhaps uh, every few months, if it gets mm. worse, for him to get a injection. Yep, and how is he of a morning when he gets up? Because you mentioned that he seems a bit stiff in the evening. Yeah, fantastic. Um, he lo- Yeah, not a problem. He, he hangs out for me to walk him, and yeah. of an afternoon, he really harasses me until I um, take him over the park and throw the ball and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people often, you know, dogs are so excited about getting out to exercise. It's a great psychological well-being thing that you can do, and for yourself, obviously, a bit of exercise. Um, and a lot of people confuse that because they think, well, if they're sore from arthritis, they don't want to run it. Look, they've got to be fairly advanced um, because they're so happy to get out and do that sort of stuff. So we certainly those early signs that you're picking up are uh, something where you want to take some action. I would probably say um, from a safety point of view, green lip muscle powder. And look, there's a hundred different forms of that um, that you can get stuff that's made for dogs, stuff that's made for people. And then it's also combined with other products as well that are designed to treat or help to relieve the symptoms of arthritis. Having said that, I think I would suggest we want to get him checked by the vet again just to make sure that once you start any sort of treatment and also modifying exercise, we want the vet to make sure everything's okay, um, that it is, you know, related to osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease rather than some other cause. And there are some other treatments, like you mentioned, about the injection. So there's couple of different injections it could be one of the ones that we use frequently for arthritis is uh, cartrophin and that's a compound that helps to repair joint surfaces so sometimes following up with that with a regular injection is going to provide a, a lot of benefit and then yep. for times when they're really sore maybe that you know they've just done one too many runs um, in the park 
sometimes then we'll need to use an anti-inflammatory medication. And yeah. then we look at things like weight control, the type of exercise, like you mentioned swimming, that's really good. If your dog is arthritic, then it's weight-supported rather than weight-bearing. And then there are some dietary supplements, which obviously green lip muscle powder is one of them. So I think it's worth a trip back to the vet, but you, okay. might, you might find that you do end up with one of those extracts to put in their food, but I would also want to make sure we might need to do some of those other things as well. Okay, not a problem. Good on you. Thanks, Peter. All right, Peter, thank you for that. Best of luck with it. Uh, Judith at Maitland, your nine-year-old dog with Addison's disease. So how can, we, how can the gang help you there, Judith? Um, she's just, we've just been diagnosed. She's on medication. Yeah. Um, she's on prednisone and she's on uh, fludrocortisone. Yep. Um, I'm just, because she's nine... Um, and she's got a really good quality of life. And she does lots of things. Um, so has she got a life expectancy of like 15 to 16, 17, like a normal chihuahua would have? Um, yeah, it's a good question because, you know, it's a pretty serious disease. So for everyone listening, Addison's is the name given to a disease called hypo, meaning low, adreno, uh, and so that's coming from the adrenal glands next to the kidney, Hypoadrenocorticism, okay? So it's the basically a, a low cortisol levels that comes from the adrenal glands. And the cortisol in our body, uh, and particularly with this disease, there are what we call glucocorticoids and there are mineralocorticoids. And the mineral corticoids are actually responsible for regulating the levels of salt in our blood. Now you might think, oh, well, whatever. But that's really critical for things like nerve function, cell function, muscle uh, function as well. And in particular, if you have uh, severe Addison's that's untreated, it can be fatal. Okay, yeah. so the potassium level gets high. It'll yeah. actually slow the heart down almost to the point where, well, it will. If you, it's not treated, it will stop the heart. So what we're doing, what those two medications that you're giving are, they're supplementing or replacing the missing hormones that would normally be produced by this gland, the adrenal gland. So if we keep up with the treatment, then yes, the life expectancy should be as good as any other circumstance. Um, however, there is a few exceptions. One is you do have to make sure that we're on the right dose and we monitor yep. the levels of medication um, and the, le the effectiveness of them. So regular blood tests are necessary. And yep. the, the frequency of that, it tends to be a bit more frequent when you're starting off trying to get the dose right. Yep. And then over time, you know, it might be two or three times a year if everything's going well. Yep. Um, the other thing is, that, and this will depend on what protocol your vet is using, but there are uh, different forms that this medication comes in and there are different protocols. So they might start off with the two medications, as you suggested, and yeah. some protocols will drop them back to one medication okay. later on. And then, yeah. however, having said that, you also have to have that. That means we would remove the prednisolone and that should only be done under the vet's instructions. But then what happens is you, all, you still have to have that prednisolone, which is a glucocorticoid, um, available at all times because if they get stress, for instance, yep. 
you know, maybe they're scared of thunderstorms, maybe it's a car ride, who knows what it is. Um, any sort of stress, the glucocorticoids in the body help, the cortisol helps the dog's body react to okay. those things, right? And if they don't have that, then that's where we need the prednisolone to help them cope. Um, yeah. So sometimes we'll have them on both medications, sometimes it's one, but you also have to be ready to give them the other one. So you yeah. you will discover this uh, over the next couple of months. And then, as I said, I think their prognosis is pretty good, um, oh, good as long as you keep up with the medication. Yeah, it's a funny disease. We didn't even know until she collapsed. Yeah, it's pretty scary. It's called the great... Yeah. It's often called the great pretender because when it first presents, it can be a little bit tricky to diagnose and it's only mm. when we do some special blood test that it starts yeah. to show up so i'm glad that you've got the treatment for your little one and hopefully everything goes well well judith he gave you a 50 50 chance there and you came out okay so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good i've got one on this and i've got one on heart because he's got a heart murmur so and i've got one that's got nothing wrong with him touch wood at the moment touch wood <laughs> uh, okay. two out of three ain't Thanks, bad judith. i suppose all the best with it <laughs> Good times and great music at 2 and URFM 103.7. We're just here hanging and banging, doing the thing with the Pet Chat team today. Cheryl Shaw is here. I, I know you've come in. You want that big topic today, Cheryl. We'll get to you very shortly, I promise. No worries. Uh, Dr. David Tabbert is back from uh, luxuriating up on the uh, up at the Port Douglas Working. area. Working. Uh, the tan proves it, Working. mate. Um, in the meanwhile, Louise at Glenda, your three-year-old male dash hound uh, has uh, all of a sudden changed its sleeping patterns. Uh, what's going on, Louise? Well, as soon as he wakes up, it could be 4.30 in the morning, so it gets me up, so I'll take him out to the toilet, and then he will not go back to bed, so I feed him, put a drop of toast, and then he'll go back for a couple of hours. But he used to sleep till 6, now it could be 4.35 in the morning. Oh, gosh, Louise, interrupted sleep. It's like having babies again, isn't it? Well, he was up at 2.30 this morning, so I took him out to the oh, toilet hello. and he went back to bed. But sure yep. as 5 o'clock came, he was back at it again. Now, do you have just the one dog? There's only me and him. Right. And he sleeps in the bed with me. He used yes. to sleep in his bed, but once he got into my bed, that was the end of it. That's it, yeah. I think you'll be kicked out soon. I think that's what's happening. Well, um. Fred's right across the bed and I've got to move through the night to find a side where I can find a bit of room. Louise, how how comfortable is your lounge suite at the moment? That looks like my, we might be sending you, I reckon. Well, we go to bed after 10 and I'll go to bed and I'll leave him and then he'll wake up and he gets straight into bed, you know, maybe half an hour, an hour later. Okay. And sure enough, you know, as soon as that clock Looks at 5 or 4.30, he's up again. Now, I was just thinking, what is there any other changes like maybe a neighbour's getting up at that time or I've got, something else um, happening? Neighbours, they've got about six cars come and go all hours through the night, but they're not going at that time, you know. Mm. And that, but uh, he used to sleep pretty good, but I'm thinking it's coming on winter and I don't want to be going out there at... Four, five in the morning. Well, the to good take them out. <laughs> the good news is this weekend your your clocks change, um, so you'll get that extra hour. But still, and and I wonder whether or not the it is a reaction to time and daylight 
Or the 231 throws me, though. But now I'm thinking, what about urination? Like, is he drinking more or...? He's got a water fountain going right. all day, yes. and he's got water outside, but he is a barker, and I've got one of those zap collars. Oh, okay. Because he barks all the time. Uh, as soon as he hears a noise like a car door, he's off like a rocket, and um, this can go on as long as he can hear a car door or a noise or whatever. He's off his tree, you know? Yeah. So there's two ways to approach this, and well, there's one way to approach it, but there's two possibilities. I think one is a medical reason for him to getting up at that time. We often see altered sleep patterns associated with onset of um, dementia, canine cognitive uh, disruption, which can obviously occur much later in life. So I don't tend to think it's that, but there are some other conditions that could cause altered sleep. And as I mentioned, the um, any dog that's uh, drinking excessively, urinating, is probably going to need to get up through the night. And then the other thing is what happens is that you're getting up at the same time. So he says, oh, well, now I'll have something to eat. Um, so I'd certainly want to get him checked out medically just to make sure there isn't a reason for that. Some He just had a checkup um, last month because he had oh, had good. that COVID needle. Right, okay. Um yeah, but he was on drugs when he was a puppy because he's got very bad anxiety. Like if I go out the door and I've got to go shopping, uh, he just goes berserk and I put the tally on for him. Yes. Um, but it's hard. Is he know? still on medication? No, I got him off because he was okay. too drugged up. Yeah. Well, I think drug, drugging him up now might be the way to go. <laughs> um, and that was the other choice I had. If it wasn't a medical problem, which it sounds like you've, had that checked, um, then a behavioural problem. And Would it be because know. he has dinner too early because he eats between 5 and 5.30? No, Maybe I don't think I so. I hold the meal back a little bit. Look, it wouldn't hurt, but I think it's probably more related to anxiety and generalised um, you know, behavioural responses. So in this case, I would actually say either ask your veterinarian for assistance or a referral or speak to, um, you can get a animal behaviourist, veterinary behaviourist, right. to, to come to your house and do a consultation and they'll be able to look at all the environment because what we tend to want to do is we keep saying, oh, just send the dog away or get the dog to be trained to do something when in reality it's the dog, it's you and it's the environment. And we've got to actually assess and change things in one of those three places or all three of those places, all right? right? So, you know, dogs can have training, you can have training, and maybe there's things with the environment that need changing as well. Okay, then. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I yeah. think it's because it's just him and me and, um, you know... Well, uh, yes, and when he, when he gets up, you get up, so... Um, we, we need to have that assessed from a behavioural perspective. All right, best of luck with it, Louise. And, of course, uh, maybe, David, I think she might just have to check out what her lounge is what like. The, she might, yeah, might I'll get some the sleep there. To the <laughs> but, Cheryl, you, you were delving back into the felines today, the greatest pet of all, the pet cat, and some issues that they may have, uh, particularly around some of our uh, 
Easter traditions. That's right. Look, a lot of people go visiting at Easter time and they take a bunch of flowers. They might take chocolate eggs as well. But we need to be really careful about flowers when we're visiting anybody that has cats. So what actually happens, lilies being the symbol for um, Easter are often in arrangements at this time of the year, although you can get them all through the year. So we do need to be vigilant with cats and lilies. The trouble is with lilies, often cats will be attracted to them and they're quite curious. They'll go up, they may sniff them. And if they're sniffing them, that pollen will go into their nasal um, area. Oh, don't we know that? (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to create a really big issue for the cat. The other thing is that every part of the lily is toxic to cats. So whether it be the the petals, the stamen, the, the pollen that's on there, the leaves, the stem, but even the drinking water. So if they even drink out of the vase of water, this toxicity is going to be passed on to the cat and it's really going to create um, a a life-threatening experience for cats. So more often fatal than not? David, you would see this in your clinic. If, yeah, if if they actually get almost any amount. Yes. Yeah, it's extremely toxic. Mm. And, and one of the um, things with yeah. that, David, even the pollen, if they get it on their fur, so not even eating it, they just you know, brush past and get the pollen onto their fur. Later on when they are doing their grooming and they're licking, they're going to ingest that. And mm-hmm. then the owner may not even be aware because they haven't sort of seen the cat eating something. So often we look at, you know, has the dog or cat vomited? Yeah. And in this case, it hasn't been visible that it, the cat has you know, eaten anything, it's just licked and cleaned itself and then ingested the pollen. Mm. Wow, that's pretty severe, isn't it? I mean, every every poison, toxin, etc., there is a dose response. But the more toxic a substance is, the lower that dose that's required to cause the problem. Mm. Uh, and in this case, it's just from a safety perspective for the health of the animal, we have to assume that almost any amount... Uh, is going to be deadly. Yeah, but just drinking, you know, to me, just drinking the water, it just seems crazy, but, you know, that toxicity is there. So, you know, making sure that if you um, are sending some flowers via the forest, florist, that you let them know that the people may have cats or have cats so that you don't get any delivery of of lilies. The other flower that um, also creates a lot of problem around this time of the year is the tulip because tulips are shaped like Easter eggs and they're also toxic to cats. So we need to be very careful of those. But there's a lot of different flowers that, you know, we just need to make sure they're not being in the home. But lilies are number one. We just got to make sure that we've not got those flowers. Yeah, they're very popular, aren't they? Yeah. Now, now you mentioned the, the tulips there. What about red tulip, as in chocolate? I mean, how chocolates and, and cats, is that a bad mix if they happen to jump? I know it is for dogs, but. Yeah, yeah. They're still not as toxic <clears throat> in cats, but still dangerous. Cats are just a little more sensible mm. than yeah. dogs around chocolates. <laughs> not that I'd be sharing my chocolate with a damn cat anyway, but that's that's the thing. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that, Cheryl, on the brooch. No as always, Cheryl can bring a brooch for any occasion. I reckon we need to start gi- uh, giving her topics. Yeah. Cheryl, your topic to next week is this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go for it, guys. <laughs> she'll, just, <laughs> she'll just open up the big old war chest at home <laughs> find something. <laughs> Cheryl Shaw is here. Dr. David Tabbert is here, who uh, back for the big conference up in mm. the Port Douglas area. And uh, you actually were studying a little bit of gear up there that fits with Cheryl's theme of toxicity. Yeah, that's right. There was a report from the US. They they do this annual re- release of a, the top 10 toxins that they see. And it's interesting 
to see compared to what we see in Australia. Yeah. So over there, unfortunately, the thing that really causes trouble for domestic pets is recreational drugs. Right, they, they were a couple of the top spots, weren't they? Yeah, that's right. Marijuana, number one. And we certainly, we do see that here, <clears throat> both um, inadvertent and sometimes um, a deliberate toxicity. Not necessarily malicious, I might yeah. add, but, you know, people who do feed their pets some marijuana product. Um, but the other thing that we really, I would say, at least in our emergency centre, here in Newcastle, what we tend to see mostly is uh, rat baits. Um, and I think this is because of the regional factor of, you know, we do have areas that are really substantial rodent mm. populations. So people are trying to do their best to prevent that getting out of control. Um, so that's a very common one. The other one that we see a lot, and again, it's seasonal, is um, snail bait toxicity. So we'll probably... I think with this wet weather and change of season, I think we're going to see snails again. And so we'll expect to see some pets, mainly dogs. I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen a cat with snail bait toxicity. They're a bit more sensible, as you said, mate, before, aren't they? They are. They are. <laughs> Sorry, dogs. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they so they come in with severe tremoring and sometimes vomiting and diarrhoea with snail bait toxicity. The interesting thing about uh, rat bait and... Um, probably most people know this, but it's worth reiterating, is that dogs won't actually show any clinical signs for about three to five days. And sometimes it might even be a few weeks after they ingest. The weeks? Wow, that's amazing. After they ingest the bait. So uh, it's, and it's to do with just how the toxin uh, works in causing uh, clotting problems in the body. So, uh, And like you said, there's not much we can look out for in those, those couple of weeks until the symptoms show. Well, most luckily, the ones I've seen recently have really been the case of, um, you know, we put some behind the fridge and then, or wherever it is, in the mm. cupboard or in the garage or whatever, and then, oh, I went in and it's now down on the floor and the box is half chewed. So you, the, those gotcha. ones, people are actually finding them straight away, getting them in. We can mm. um, decontaminate them. There's some blood tests that we do that actually tell us whether they've been poisoned or not. And then, if need be, we do have an antidote. So, um, you know, we'll treat most of them quite successfully. Which is a good news story at the end of it, isn't it? It is. Mm-hmm. And if if you're in the unfortunate position of an owner and your dog um, has ingested some without your knowledge, uh, the things to look out for are any abnormal bleeding. And sometimes I've seen dogs where their first symptom is coughing because they're actually bleeding into their lung. Um, the other one we see is blood in the urine, blood in the stool. Um, they can get bruising on the skin, although that's less likely. Um, but there have also been cases quite rare, I should add, and very difficult to diagnose of dogs that have had bleeding into the brain. Um, and that's much more difficult to treat. Sure. Um, and so those are the ones that we see commonly, vomiting blood, things like that, or urinating blood, we will um, test them, diagnose them with rodenticide toxicity, and the treatment is um, plasma transfusions, blood transfusions, and vitamin K uh, therapy, which is one of the is the antidote for uh, the toxin.
All right, good to know and keep on top of those other symptoms earlier. Uh, we've got about 60 seconds to go. So if you are looking to add a, a new member to your family, of course, we've got the dog of the week up at our website at 2NURFM.com.au and the Pet Chat page. This time around, Posey is there for you, 10-week-old Kelpie Cross, intelligent little dog who's uh, learning to be grass toilet trained, sli- sits and sleeps well in a crate at night. Uh, needs a little bit more training and stimulation for her as well and uh, loves to play with the kids in foster at the moment. But as you would expect with this type of dog, gang uh, is a bit excitable. Yeah, they, they need lots of exercise. But the great thing is what's been highlighted on our page is they train really well. Mm. So you spend the time to train them and they can they turn into great little dogs. Cheryl, I'm guessing that's your experience when these type of dogs come through? Absolutely. Lots of energy there, but you need to um, do early training and be really successful with that relationship with your dog and you'll have a, a wonderful pet. All right. So, again, uh, Posey is up there for you. 10-week-old Kelpie Cross, and uh, you can have a look through uh, some of our previous Dogs of the Week and uh, get in contact with the gang at Dog Rescue Newcastle. Who knows? Maybe the dog you're looking for is still available. Gang, that's just about it. So, uh, Cheryl, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yes. And, David, are you here near with us next? You don't know. No, three. You've got no idea. I might be going somewhere else. (laughs) Fair enough. That's not a bad life, is it, for a... For an emergency centre veterinarian, I just just pop in after a couple of weeks of being up in the north. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've got a big crew, so don't worry. <laughs> we've got it all sorted. We're always there. All right, David. Thanks for coming. We'll see Cheers. you whenever we whenever we do. Uh, you guys sort out who's coming in. Someone will be here next week. <laughs> thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at twonurfm.com. <laughs>